Morning. The scripture reading today is actually from a different place than it's listed in your bulletin. It's from Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to ask all of you guys to look that up with me to Matthew chapter 2. I'll give you guys a chance to do that while I switch out the stand here. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, And teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We are in the Advent season, a time of preparation in light of the coming King, and today is the third Sunday of Advent, and the traditional theme given for this day in the church calendar is joy. Now, there are, of course, many reminders of joy in this season. We sing about it, we give each other nice gifts, we send out cards, we even decorate a tree. So we're going to do our gratitude experiment now, and if you guys don't have pens, I think... um, will be provided for you. And I'm going to ask you to do this by um, thinking of five things that bring you joy this time of the year. Five things that have brought you joy or five things that you know will bring you joy um, concretely. That brings a smile to your face when you think about Christmas right now. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys a chance to do that.
All right, I think most of you guys are done. I'm going to ask you guys to actually share that with one another as we've been doing. Just any one of the five things that has either brought you or is bringing you, you know, is bringing you joy this coming Christmas. So think about one thing and share it with someone that's next to you. So I gave it a very wide, uh, you know, things that you think will give you joy, things that have brought you joy. Uh, one of the joys for me was, uh, uh, as many of you guys, in fact, I think all of you guys know, that we were at son's wedding last night. Some of us uh, drove in this morning. Some of us drove in last night. Um, one thing for sure, it's great joy to be here with you guys right now. And I know you guys made great effort to be here um, and I, I, I'm really grateful in my heart just to be together with you guys, to be able to worship together like this. Um, but the other thing is, um, some of the things that brought me a, a smile uh, last night as well, you know, um, as I, there was a text war that was going on this morning about um, somebody being called the dancing queen, you know, um, and somebody doing the history of dance all together in one night. So it ap- actually happens to be the same person wearing a very wonderful vest. So it was a great time. So a uh, lot, of, lot of fun, a lot of joy. And I, I know most of us a little bit uh, who, have, who were hanging out late last night are a little bit tired from all that. But it, I hope that hopefully that joy will sustain you. If you don't know who that is, I'm sure there are videos floating around <laughs> Uh, that will soon make YouTube. So I think it would be a lot of fun. Now, here's the thing. Um, as wonderful as joy is, and as wonderful as Christmas cards and, and uh, Christmas decorations and, and Christmas celebrations are, there's something about all of our celebrations of Christmas. There's something about all of our celebrations around Christmas that also reminds us that there has to be more. Right, and pe- because people always, whether it's uh, secular newspapers or in the church, people always remind us, and it doesn't take a whole lot to remind us that there's this wonderful part of our Christmas, but then there's always kind of like it also creates this kind of like a vacuum that everybody also feels, and this could be an incredibly lonely time of the year as well for some people, um, incredibly difficult time when we, if you have difficult relationships with families. Um, and, and um, there's also all sorts of disappointments that we think about and we experience as well. Uh, we experience joy, but it's never quite so fulfilling as we expect it to be. True joy is something we desire, we yearn, but it also escapes our full embrace. And we're in some ways more conscious of that during Christmas time than other times. My son has been practicing the song, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. You guys know the song? Everybody knows the song? Yeah? Okay. Alvin and the Chipmunks. And um, here's the thing. Uh, 
he hasn't lost his two front teeth, okay? And um, his classmates, they're in kindergarten. Um, as far as I know, none of them have lost their two front teeth yet. They might in the coming months. So when they sing this song, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth, it's a little bit like, you know, like that, that, that contestant on American Idol or The Voice is like that young singer that sings about heartbroken love. You just go, you're just singing it without conviction, man. And I just, you don't know what that really feels like to have two front teeth missing. Because here's what I want to say to him, really, is, you know, I think you're wrong about that. Because I'm pretty sure... I, I'm pretty sure, it was a long time ago, but I remember when I was missing my two front teeth, and I still wanted a Christmas present. Uh, that's not all I wanted. I'm pretty sure he's wrong about that. I'm pretty sure all of you guys have your two front teeth, unless there's some stories that I don't know about. But I'm pretty sure all of you guys have your two front teeth, and you guys still want something for Christmas, even now. You don't go, that's it. I'm done. My life is complete. I got my tooth front teeth. I'm so happy. That's all I need. Um, The gifts that you have had to have, how long does that, that that you really, really had to have, right? There's sometimes, in some years, we're more aware of the gifts that we want than others, right? But that gift that you really, really had to have, how long does that joy last? What, a, a day a week, the next upgrade cycle, you almost have to feel a little bit sorry for the person who claims real, deep, abiding joy based on the stuff that you get, right? The biblical writers talk about this joy a lot. And you can discern that they have the sense that real joy has to be Deep joy. Uh, it has to satisfy the deepest places within us. And that deepest place, the Bible calls it the soul, right? In order for joy to satisfy us, our soul has to f- be filled. And, and in order for that joy to, to give us contentment, real contentment, it has to be something about the soul. Now, However, one of the lasting effects of sin is that even though we have this longing, even though we sense the hunger of our souls, one of the primary effects of sin is that we now try to fill it with things that don't satisfy. We fill it with wrong things. Anybody as a kid ever want to eat candy for dinner? That's what kids do. Yes, the answer is yes. Um, I was talking with, uh, with um, uh, Andrew and Miran about uh, Sherlock, the, my new favorite show, BBC show. Yeah, yeah. How many of you guys have watched this? Great show. If you haven't seen it, it's like, I'm just like, why are there, there are only few, such few episodes, you know? Um, it's a British um, BBC TV show update to the Sherlock Holmes books, Sherlock Holmes stories. And there's an episode in which the villain kidnaps these children, and he leaves them locked in a warehouse. 
And he leaves them with lots and lots of candy. Lots and lots of chocolate. And they're just like eating chocolate like this. Kids do what kids do when there's no one to stop them. And they start gorging themselves on candy. And the thing is, this candy, the wrapper for the candy has been laced with poison. So the kids are eating away. So Sherlock, is, is, it's a race against time before the kids eat up all this chocolate candy um, to, to try to save them. It's a race against the clock. And, and I'm thinking, you know, you don't even need that chocolate candy wrapper to be laced with poison because kids will make themselves sick. You, all you have to do is just put an unlimited quantity of chocolate and they will just, they don't know when to stop. The only way that they will stop is if they get too sick from eating it. They'll just kind of, and they'll just like fall down. These kids will, you just know that's what's going to happen. They're going to just like eat the candy and, 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 and soon they'll come to a point at which, I don't know, I'm sure chocolate, if you have too much of it, just like anything else, turns into poison itself and you just like collapse. I'm just thinking that that's what would really happen. They don't even need to be poisoned apart from that. But this is us. But this is us. We sense the hunger, but our impulse is to fill it with the things that do us more harm than good. And this is us, I think, especially that we need to be aware of. And that's one thing that I want to talk about during Christmas time. Because when we, when our will has become enslaved in one sense, and the mind has become enslaved by our desire, the ultimate reality behind human dissatisfaction is our sinful souls that, that has been cut off from God with whom we were made to rest in. And that's why we're dissatisfied. And that's where true joy is found, right? Simple as that. But our desire has been distorted. Getting whatever I want will seem like it will satisfy me, but the truth is it will destroy my soul. Because my soul was made for God. So I want to spend the rest of this message looking at that. How do I pursue a satisfied soul? How do I find this deep, deep joy? I want to make three observations to keep, us, uh, to keep in mind during this Christmas season. Very simple observations. But hopefully, I've been thinking about this, and I think this will be helpful for us as we think about Christmas. And I wanted to give you guys this message earlier than actual, uh, before we hit Christmas. So the first thing we need to know, first observation, first we need to acknowledge and confess our chronic dissatisfaction. We have a chronic dissatisfaction. And we need to realize that. We need to remember that because sometimes we forget. Because sometimes we get into a point of dissatisfaction about something and we go, oh, I'm so dissatisfied as if that ought to be a surprise to us. I'm so dissatisfied with this. I'm so dissatisfied with this. I'm so dissatisfied with this. And, and, and we forget that that is, in one sense, our condition. Habakkuk 2.4 writes about the sinful person like this. It says, see, he is puffed up. He is desires, his desires are not right. He is never at rest because his desires are not right. In one sense, this is, this is debilitating unrest because of the dissatisfaction that this person feels his soul is greedy as the grave 
And like death is never satisfied. Like death is never, never satisfied. Isn't that great poetic language? Death is always pulling people to death. Death never says, oh, I've got plenty of people dead, so I'm, I'm done. Like, that's what this poetic language is trying to say. Is that like that, death, this sinful person's soul is never satisfied. I know this sounds a little bit extreme. Uh, so I want to make it a little bit uh, more um, concrete in one sense. So a little bit more practical for, for us to think about for uh, the next few minutes. I want to do a little bit of a survey with all of us. See if you can see this pattern of dissatisfaction in your life. And I'm going to ask all of us, all of you, to, to, um, to make, a, uh, uh, make a confession about your dissatisfaction and acknowledge that right now. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands to, to say, yeah, that's been me. I recognize that now. I recognize that dissatisfaction in my life. So I want to talk about our jobs a little bit, however we approach jobs, however we think about our jobs, and and I mean jobs in the most widest category. Being a student is a job for for, uh, right now. But if you're ever dissatisfied with your work, um, think about that for a second. I heard a comic say, you hate your job? It says, there's a support group for that. It's called Everybody. They meet at the bar. I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, That makes sense. I read in Forbes magazine. This is in Forbes magazine, so this is legit. About a University of Chicago study, which listed the 10 most hated jobs in the world and the 10 happiest jobs. This is what they called it. This is not my, uh, I'm not making this up. So um, uh, I want you guys to guess right now the 10 what you think might be the, the happiest job, according to Forbes magazine, University of Chicago study. Okay. We'll put up all 10, but think about what you think might be the happiest job, according to University of Chicago, Forbes magazine article. Think about that and share with one another what your guess is. What do you think? Just blurt it out. What do you think it might be? A surfer, okay, professional surfer. Pretty high up there. Pastry chef? No. Anything else? Any other guesses? Librarian? Really? Librarian? <laughs> any, guess, any other guesses from a food critic? What? Party planner? Okay. That's interesting. What do you think it might be? Since you guys are like still thinking about your careers, this might be interesting to hear from you guys. Athlete, some athlete of some sort, possibly. Okay, not making this up. Top ten list, number one on top. <laughs> I had Mirad just say, oh my God, is that really? <laughs> Can you believe that? Clergy, firefighter, physical therapist, authors, special education teachers, teachers, artists, psychologists, financial service sales, sales agents. And operating engineers like crane engineers, like uh, bulldozers and those kind of things. Um, And then the top 10 most hated jobs. Go go ahead, put it up there. Director of Information Technology. (laughs) 
I think that might be Young's title, by the way. <laughs> Director of Sales and Marketing, Product Manager, Senior Web Developer, Technical Specialist, electro Electronics Technician, Law Clerk. Not lawyer, because like, law clerk is it's just like you get bossed around by lawyers. That's how awful is that? Yeah, technical support analyst, CNC machinist, marketing manager. I'm, uh, just take a wild guess. Uh, take a guess. Which job pays more? Which category of jobs pays more? The hated jobs or the happiest jobs? Yeah, hated jobs by a lot. There's disproportionately. It's not even just kind of like, you know, a few percentage points, but it's like by, by like, you know, 50% or something like that. Um, what they found was uh, that they found that people in the happiest jobs had a higher sense of meaning. Less money, less status. The clergy, clearly. <laughs> but a higher sense of meaning. The main thing you bring home from your work is not your paycheck. This is, again, uh, something about our souls. We think we will be happy if we got paid more. I mean, because think about it. Generally, when people think about jobs, when people think about careers, what is the number one criteria by which they use to think about, you know, what should I go into? What will make me happy? We know our longing, but we fill it with wrong things. That, e that equals dissatisfaction. Okay, we know our longing, but we fill it with wrong things. That equals dissatisfaction. So, raise your hand if you have ever been dissatisfied with your work. We'll do it all together. If you've ever been dissatisfied with because you're not married, or if you've ever dissatisfied because you're married... <laughs> And you can say that, it's okay, as long as you raise it together with the person that you're sitting, sitting next to. Um, I mean, actually, uh, you guys, yeah, it's too soon. Um, uh, if you've ever been dissatisfied with your money, your body, your boss, um, I, I, I found this line is not original to me, but it, you're, if you've been dissatisfied with your hairline, waistline, your bottom line, if you've ever been dissatisfied with your neighbors, your home, your car, your relatives, if you've ever been dissatisfied with any aspect of your life, would you all raise your hand with me right now? So. Josh is pretty happy, so he's good. We have in our time in our time, more resources to pursue satisfaction than ever before in the history of the world, right? More resources in our time, in our place. More resources to pursue satisfaction. Things that promise us happiness, joy, contentment. More things to do that than anywhere else. I mean, we were in Vegas, right? And... That place is all about saying, you will be satisfied. You will be happy if you do this. Right? If you're into food and you go to Vegas, I mean, it is just kind of like, how could you? You just think, this, what, this is what heaven would look like if you were really into food, right? 
the top chefs of the world all have their restaurants in Vegas now, right? Or if you're just going for quantity, you can still get that $4.99 steak dinner somewhere, right? I heard Kayla, our Kayla, I, I just can't imagine her eating very much, but she got like this 24-hour buffet deal where she could have three buffet meals, three buffet meals, I mean, for like something like 50 bucks. Unlimited, oh, unlimited buffet meals, okay. And she went for it. And we were talking about this, and our cabbie was, he said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, people, yeah, they make out, like, they, uh, they make a lot of money on those. Because <laughs> you think, unlimited buffet, but how much can you really eat, Kayla? <laughs> I mean, if it was like somebody else, <laughs> I won't mention who it might be, but some of us might make out better than Kayla, I think. But that's, you know, uh, that's a, uh, this is a place that promises you satisfaction, but I don't know if anybody ever goes away from Vegas saying, you know what, I found contentment. I found contentment. Stephen's son, maybe, just for the... But that's not because of the... It's not because of Vegas. Because they, because the paradox of the soul is that soul is incapable of satisfying itself, but it's also incapable of living without satisfaction. You were made for satisfaction. You were made to feel this deep joy, but you will only find it in God... We long for deep joy. So one of the first things that we need to do is to, we need to acknowledge that we have a dissatisfaction issue. We need to recognize that and we need to start from there. The second thing that I want to say is we need to surrender our need to always get what we want. I think this has been a really important thing for me to think about this week. We need to surrender our need to always get what we want. Um, especially during Christmas time, I think this is an important lesson, reminder for us. Jesus, again, says that part of the paradox of the soul, if I aim at pleasing um, my, uh, my own life, if I am at a, at a life that is all about pleasing myself, I will actually destroy my soul. I will actually destroy myself. Whereas if I place honoring God above pleasing myself, then my soul can find true satisfaction. So whoever wants to save his soul will lose it. Whoever loses his soul for me will save it. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. Whoever wants to save their soul will lose it, but whoever loses their soul for me will save it. In other words, the soul desires a life that is much more than this satisfaction of desire. And I will never achieve satisfaction if I make the goal of my life about achieving satisfaction. There is a figure in fiction and that graphically illustrates what happens to the soul when it becomes all about desire. Any guesses to who might be? Give you a clue. Son's wedding theme might bring that in. Golem, yeah. I, I just heard Golem. <laughs> yeah. His name is Golem. Um, son's wedding theme was Lord of the Rings. Which, if you think about it, that's really, really nerdy. (laughs) 
I thought she was going to walk in with like elf, elf ears, you know. That would have been appropriate. We sat at a table that was called the Shire. What table, what was your table called? What? Oh, okay. Anybody sit at a table called Mordor? It's like, that would be like all the people. We don't like those people. So, it was like an eye that follows you around. <laughs> um, and many of you guys know uh, Tolkien wrote about The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy as an allegory for faith, uh, for a life of faith. You guys know that, right? It's not just about it's just this action you know, cool thing. It's, it's, it's an allegory about life of faith. And in case you guys didn't know, because I'm always surprised because it was such common knowledge uh, when I was reading it, but C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien were friends. They were, they were really good friends. And they talked about faith a lot. And in fact, there was a point at which, um, and I heard this from his uh, stepson. I, I heard this at a lecture that uh, they decided to write allegories about faith because they realized what people needed were, were stories of faith to really understand what, how faith looks like when it's lived out instead of just the, these dogmatic lessons about faith. So they took this approach and said, C.S. Lewis said, okay, I'll write a story. So Gerard Tolkien uh, says he's going to write a story about Middle Earth, fantasies uh, of, of elves, dwarves, those kind of things. And, and C.S. Lewis writes a story about space, going on into space. So he writes the space trilogy. Um, in case some of you guys have read the Space Trilogy. So that's a good set of books as well. Not as quite as good as The Lord of the Rings, but that's, that's part of the story. And Golem represents what happens to the soul when it completely abandons itself to getting what it wants. But the ring, the, that one ring, the precious, doesn't ever provide full lasting satisfaction or contentment. It's this thing that when you finally get it, you have to get it. But when you finally get it and you think you're happy, in fact, it creates a greater emptiness. And what's happening to Golem throughout is that, that the possession of the ring literally sucks the life out of him. Right? And, and that's what you see about Golem. He didn't start out that way. He was just a regular, normal hobbit or something like a hobbit. That's what happens. Because, and it's true in, 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 in our observation as well. Isn't it striking how when you see those people who have the means to get everything that they want, when you see those people who have the means to get everything that they want and that so many of them are things that we are pursuing in our lives, but when you see those people who have the means to get everything that they want, they don't seem like the people we want to be, right? When they abandon themselves to their desires, something becomes vacuous, more empty, right? I grew up, um, I, I don't think they have this anymore, but we grew up, some of us grew up in watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? And... And uh, I, I remember watching in awe, right? Because you just go, what? The rich have that? They can do that? What? They have that many rooms? They're, they have that many bathrooms? That bathroom's that, that's bigger than my house. Uh, they have 
They have a garage of, you know, 20 cars that they never use. And you just think that's the coolest thing in one sense. But you also recognize, even as a child, I remember thinking, but that seems a little, I don't know, something about it feels a little empty. Always left me with a sense of empty, vacuous, right? When you see the people who have the means to get everything they want, the end result is not something where you go, that's what exactly I want to be. So this is something that we can practice. I found this great picture of how we can approach, um, how, how to deal with our bad desires, our distracted des- desires, that's mainly about uh, pursuing things that will actually create emptiness in us. It says in Psalm 131, it says, describes the process of not being sucked into our desires as like a weaned child with its mother. That we need to be weaned. That part of maturity, growing up in faith, is to be a weaned child from its mother. Because how do you wean a child? A child thinks, without the mother's milk, where will it ever find any satisfaction in life? Right? A child cannot imagine that there's something better. How do you wean a child? Well, you do it by strategic disappointment. You deliberately withhold from the child what it wants so that the child learns that its appetites can be satisfied in better ways. So I think this is something that we can practice this week in one sense, to wean ourselves from those things that we're, 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 we're clutching onto our desires that we think we absolutely need to have to make us happy. This means we need to experience a little bit of strategic disappointment. This Christmas, you don't have to get everything you want. This Christmas, you don't have to get everything that's on your list. That it's not a bad thing to be disappointed with the gifts that you get. It won't ruin your Christmas. And... This, this shopping season, this mad shopping season that, that starts from uh, Thanksgiving Day now to, to Christmas, this mad season of deals, it's okay to miss out on a deal. You know? It's okay for us to miss out on getting something that we don't really need. It's okay. As a parent, I think one of the things that's a lesson for me is, that means you don't have to give everything your child wants that your child puts on their Christmas list. I don't mean let's really disappoint our kids on purpose. But I think, especially our younger kids, and I talked about what it means to live in a life of this sort of affluence, that we need to have uh, conversations with our kids. To say, just because you want it doesn't mean that you you should get it. Just because we can afford it doesn't mean that you should get it. Right? Don't be afraid, parents. Don't be afraid... To disappoint your kids.
Be ready to have conversations about why. Be ready to have conversations about what's more important. Be ready to have conversations to help understand why we need to be weaned off of such things. But don't be afraid to disappoint our children. And in different ways for us as well, not just in terms of Christmas presents and Christmas gifts. That means, this also means that when you are disappointed this week that you don't get your way or you didn't get what you want, that means for us that we can take that as an opportunity to practice finding our satisfaction in God. For me, it, me- it meant this week I found myself saying, this is not what I wanted about something. And I found myself basically saying, this is not what I wanted. And I found God saying back to me, a little bit of a so. <laughs> and also, but that's okay. But that's okay. So I think we need to understand that our disappointment with not getting the things that we want, not getting the things that we think will give us satisfaction, we need to understand during this time of the year in which everything around us says, get the things that you want because you will get the best deals. You're supposed to get the things that you want because people are supposed to know what you want. It's okay to be disappointed in that. And lastly, I want to say we need to remind ourselves this season that our joy comes from being received by the Son. And of course, this is what it was leading up to, what all of this was leading up to. And this is where the story of the three Magis come in. Because they represent in many ways our attitude that we should take during Christmas, I think. Is they are the ones who travel a long way to bow down to Jesus, having to avoid Herod's capture. He's recruited by Herod to, in, into a scheme to try to find Jesus, the Messiah, to, to stamp out possible uh, a threat to his authority and his kingship. But they deal with them. They say, but we're, we're still going to be about something bigger than that. They stay on focus on their mission, which is to serve, um, which is to come and find this coming, coming king. They bring Jesus these extravagant gifts. And look, there is nothing that they receive in return. There's no comfort. There's no hospitality. There's no gift extended to them. There's no mention of their names Ever in scriptures, again, no one knows what their names are. No one ever made a statue in their honor. They disappear into anonymity. But if you were to ask them, what did you get in return? I'm certain that they would say everything. Because the scriptures say that they were overjoyed to find Jesus. And they bowed down and worshipped him in gladness. They were overjoyed. And they bowed down and worshipped him. 
That's at the heart of what, what our attitude should be during Christmas time. We ought to be dissatisfied with everything else. We ought to not be distracted by anything else that will come along our way. But if we could find ourselves bowing at the feet of Jesus, our Savior, in worship, then we too can be overjoyed. John Piper says this about our desire like this, right? God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. You've heard Pastor Sam and I say that many times. And I think the cognate in this context is to say we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. You really are. May God be glorified in us this season with our pursuit of our desires. That's mainly about finding Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for our time of worship, and we thank you for, and we're grateful for our church to be able to gather together. And we're grateful for uh, this weekend. We're grateful that the joy that you you have um, may flow through our community. And the love that we experience is truly the love that you have given to us, that you have seated in our hearts. May we pursue you in how we think about Christmas. May we find true joy. And may we remember that in how we live out this Christmas as well. May you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.